Welcome to Teachings in the Air. Air, air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what Hello, welcome to Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. Today's podcast is called Repairing the Broken Circle. You know, and it's um, a podcast I had in my mind as soon as we started doing podcasts. It was about the broken circle. Because I cannot deny, and I'm sure many of us, that our circles have been impacted and broken at times. And when something's broken, that doesn't mean it cannot be repaired. So that's what this podcast is about in the Indigenous Is series. is about using our ways to help our people recover from what I call a post-colonial stress disorder. <laughs> you know, there's so much stuff from colonialism that has impacted our individuals, our families, our communities. So what the reason why the actual topic is about lateral violence. And the word lateral means the one beside you. Well, that means in a community, you can be violent with the one that's beside you. And whether it's your family or someone from the community, the violence is happening beside you in your community or your home. And of course, violence is physical force. It's used to intimidate or with the intention to hurt. You know, and it's now identified for many communities as a major problem. You know, lateral violence. At first, I called this a crazy new way. The crazy new way of life for indigenous people in North America. Because when I think back to when I was a child, I didn't see people swearing at each other and hollering at each other. I did see people fighting when they were intoxicated. But when everybody was themselves in a sane manner, there was none of this. Being violent with the one beside you. With words, or it could be even nonverbal. We can look at somebody and they say, holy cow, that looks could kill, I'd be dead. You know, we've all heard that statement. So. And I think about where we come from as a people. You know, we are all trained to develop relationships with each other. It was critical for survival, you know, so we're taught generosity. If I went to the river and I needed 20 salmon and I caught 30, I have to give the 10 away. It's just expected of me. Oh, go give it to those elders or to those ones that cannot fish. You know, so that's where we come from. We were raised to be generous, to be respectful. 
you know, to um, that respect factor is huge. To respect ourselves, to respect other human beings, to respect the deer, the salmon, where I'm from. We were taught to respect that. Don't waste, son. My granny's word rings in my ears. Son, don't waste. So if I got a deer, I'd have to skin it right away, you know, and be careful how I skin it so you can use the hide, use every part of that deer. You know, and that's where we come from as a people. We're taught to respect. And um, I remember I was telling a friend of mine that as a child, once I was walking with my granny by the river in the summertime, and I had a stick. And I was lopping off the heads of flowers and plants and stuff. My granny says, no, son, don't do that. I didn't question her. I stopped. But I wondered why. And it wasn't until I was an adult and I was telling this story to a friend of mine. And I said, you know, my granny stopped me from even hurting a plant. And I was wondering why. And he said, well, she knew that the next stage would be human beings, would be human beings, that I'd start to harm them. So this is, so that's where we all come from, and I and I I have hope today, even though this is now considered a major problem with a lot of people, lateral violence, because some of it's pretty. I mean, I've talked to people in communities, and there's broken bones, there's murder, there's serious stuff that's happened lateral with people beside you. So I know it's a serious issue. You know, and it's moved on to cyberbullying, people doing it on Facebook and Instagram, you know, and doing that kind of stuff too. So that repairing the circle to me is so important that we start to find ways. We, I think we all know the reason why we're at where we're at. We know that. We know that. I, we all know what it's like to be poor, um, to have racism in our lives, to lose our spirituality, our language, our food, you know, because we, when we got put on the res, Maybe not so much up there, I know, but down south, you know, a lot of us lost our food. Fish and game laws and stuff like that. Our, our whole world changed. So it's not surprising to me that our social structures change too around family, around what to do. So this lateral violence or this crazy new way has become a problem that uh, people are wrestling with today because I've been called to different communities to talk about what to do. You know, and I, oh, I'd be at communities and I'd hear these stories of violence, of brother against brother, family against family. And it was such a, it's sad to know that, you know, that um, I was talking to this one family and I got called in to talk to them, to work with them. And the brothers were fighting over drugs. And it was extreme violence. 
father says, I've lost two sons. He says, one to jail and one's gone now. They're never going to come back. So I really felt those moments. And was thankful that I was um, culturally grounded to where I could function, to see what I can do. Because that's what I was called there to do, to do my best, to help the family that were there to heal in regards to this lateral violence. Because brother against brother is definitely the one beside you. Word lateral means the one beside you. So a lot of my life, working life as a human service worker, I feel that this has been um, the first cause for a lot of sad events, addictions, more violence, and people not making it you know, in society or work or career or family, you know. So it's gotten away a lot of our people, this lateral violence. So that's what I was thinking of as I was saying, hey, how can I talk about this? And who can I talk to about this repairing the circle? My, uh, one of my crew, Eugene, says, um, hey, there's this lady up in the Yukon. She's doing some good work. Maybe you could interview her. Anyway, I have this wonderful lady with me. And her name is Marilyn from the Yukon. So I'd like her to introduce herself first, and then we'll get into a discussion about the work as she's doing. So please, Marilyn, can you introduce you yourself to the listeners of Teachings in the Air? Sheesh, thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here with you today. And I'm just enjoying listening to you speak and really uh, enjoying um, the words that you've shared so far. So my name is, my Clinket name is Yadolf Tin. That's how we say that in our language. <clears throat> and my English name is Marilyn. I live up here in the Yukon. And I uh, am um, a member of the Killer Whale Clan, which is Dakhloedi. And I also belong under the Wolf Moiety. So I uh, follow my mother's lineage. And she, she was um, Dakhloedi and her mother and her mother and her mother. So I come from a small community called Carcross. I um, live up here in the Yukon and uh, have been here all of my life and, and I'm a dancer. I sing and I drum and I lead a dance group called the Daka Kwan and I spend a lot of time in the field of lateral violence which my, um, my colleague and I kind of re- named at the work that we do into lateral kindness as a reclamation of who we really are as indigenous people. So how long has this lateral kindness been going on? How did well, back, it come to be and how long has it been going on? Well, back in, I think it was um, seven years ago, 2013-ish, um, I teach at Yukon University and I teach in the Indigenous Governance Program. And one time I was teaching a course called Community and Organizational Wellness. And of course, it's all based on Indigenous community. And I had to speak about lateral violence because it, like you said, it's such a huge, huge problem 
in our community. Everywhere we go, you know, people speak of how this is impeding our ability to move forward and how it impedes us to realize, you know, our vision of uh, essentially being well, you know, and self-determination. So from there, I got a, a phone call from one of the nations here in the Yukon and they called me in and they had a couple of elders there and their leadership and some of their, you know, uh, staff that work in, um, in the administration. And they said, we have a, we have this problem. We totally own that we have this problem and we want to start moving forward and working on it. Can you come teach our whole community, our leaders, our elders, our, our youth, our staff, our citizens, everybody, about what lateral violence is and how we can move forward? And I went, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I enlisted one of my colleagues. His name is Thomas Shepard. And so together, um, we took on the challenge and uh, we, we realized that, um, you know, we realize the reasons why we're dealing with lateral violence. And like you mentioned, it, it's because of, um, you know, it's an impact of having been colonized. It's a symptom of people who have experienced massive oppression and abuse, you know, and silenced and all of that. So, um, you know, we, we realize why we have it. And we also realize the, um, the absolute, I think, freedom that comes to our people when we realize and we can say, yeah, we have this. And why are we doing it? And then we understand why we're doing it. And then we decide to change it, you know, and the way we change it is by basically reclaiming who we really are, you know, the reclamation of our true indigenous you know identity and ethics and way of ways of being my mom always used to say our people are beautiful our people are kind and our people are noble that's who they really are you know so when we see these behaviors emerging and causing so much trouble like you mentioned uh it's it's just a lot easier when we can understand um you know like what's at the core of that and it's not that we're bad people. We're not mean people. We're not ugly people. It's because of, you know, just not knowing how to release pain in a good way, you know, so it comes out in these ugly ways known as lateral violence. Yes, that, you know, that community was, they had someone there that understood. Like I have the saying that I got from one of my teachers and his name is Kluwitz Teakin. You know, I have a hard time to say it sometimes, but he was, he told me, Jerry, you cannot say goodbye to your problems till you say hello to them. Yeah. You know, and you admit and you disclose to people that we're having this problem. Can you please help us? Mm -hmm. Because that statement of accountability of harm that's happening is critical. Otherwise we dance around the yeah. subject of lateral violence and we don't, and I and I've been to communities where I thought, oh, we're we're gonna do it, and then something would come in, um, you know, to stop it. Usually, a relationship. Yeah. Like um, the leader's nephew was part of the problem. Yeah. So they wouldn't want to deal with it. 
So it gets to be complicated, you know, to, and I like your, your approach about lateral kindness, because I've heard other people say that maybe they got it from you. Because I remember they asked me to do um, suicide prevention with youth. Mm -hmm. um, they had it written on a flip chart paper and my boss said, Jerry, these people, I don't think they understand what it's like to live on a reservation or to be indigenous, so you can take over. So I took her words literally and I went up to the flip chart and I took off the paper and I wrote on there, we want to live, I want to live. I said, that's what we're going to call this. And there were youth there, it was a focus group. And I said, I know you know why we called you. And I'm so glad that you've come to be with us. Because this topic, I don't know if there's any indigenous family immune from suicide in this country. Uncles, aunties, someone. And said, so we're going to call it, I want to live. And we're going to find out how to do that together. Because the meaning of life is to find your gift and to use it to help other human beings. You see, if you don't find your gift, you suffer. You feel worthless. You don't have an identity. Identity means about being the same. And I think of all the ones that say don't speak their language or don't know their clan or don't have a name, you know, like an indigenous name. And I could see how that could cause tension and conflict in individuals, because I felt that myself. I'm a survivor of Kemp's Indian Residential School. And the identity that comes from that is that uh, some people would call us Apple Indians. We're red on the outside and white on the inside. Because they literally beat the language out of us, you know, and the beliefs about our people and things, you know. It was pretty intensive indoctrination. There hundreds, you know, thousands of children. So I see that as part of the first cause is messing with people's identity, who they are, where they start to doubt themselves. Am I really indigenous? I don't know a ceremony. I don't know one song. I've never danced. I've never killed a moose or any of those things that make a person indigenous. So I know when there's tension in the mind and the body, that if you don't deal with it, it can come out negative in how you talk with other human beings. You know, and you lose that kindness you're talking about, that lateral kindness. It's easier to badmouth somebody than to say something good about them. You know, so I'm curious to, you know, you guys worked on this lateral kindness. Um, what were some of the structures you put together to teach that? Well, they, the approach we take basically is, um, you know, storytelling. In all of the teaching work that I do, I really preferred, prefer to uh, enlist, you know, our traditional way of teaching people, which is largely, you know, storytelling and sharing. And so we just start off just kind of at the beginning, you know, and uh, talk about, 
the way the I guess the behavior rules, you know, mm -hmm. that um, were very, very apparent and structured within our own communities. Mm -hmm. You know, like there were ways that you talk to people. My mom and I, I heard a lot hear a lot of elders say, you can't just talk any old way to people. You know, there's there's protocols and there's structures and especially, you know, myself as a Duklawati woman, I can't just go into somebody else's community and and speak unkindly, you know, or unruly to them. Um, there's rules about that. And so we talk about these things, you know, and we talk about the way that children would have been, you know, um, taught and how uh, society worked and how it was very much, you know, a beautiful, beautiful way of balance. Because, you know, earlier I mentioned I belong under the wolf side. Well, I have people who are known as opposites, my father's people, and they're raven or crow. And we have a, you know, we have protocols in the way that we interact with each other that are really based on balance and harmony and respect and kindness and all of those, you know, values that almost everyone's Indigenous community or culture has. And then we talk, you know, we go into um, the disruptive nature of colonization and residential school and how people were literally um, punished and um, we're not allowed to practice those traditional ways of oneness. We had one really nice gentleman tell us before, because one of the, you know, one of the um, tools that we speak about is when people are witnessing lateral violence for the bystanders to sometimes try to, you know, interrupt or redirect the, the lateral violence. And one man told us, he said, we all of us learned how to be silent at residential school. Because if you tried to protect somebody or, you know, do what you're suggesting, you got it next. You got in trouble. You got punished, you, either from, you know, the supervisors or from the other kids. So we learned how to be silent. And back to, you know, when the elders say, you can't just say any old thing to people. You have to think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Really think, consider, what am I saying and how am I saying it? Because the way that people say things, you know, are, are very, uh, when we are coming from the perspective of lateral violence, so much of it is very passive aggressive. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like someone came up to you and just stabbed you and ran out. And you, right. you know that, that whatever it was hurt, but it's really quite difficult sometimes to um, articulate it or, mm -hmm. you know, like pinpoint what it is. So it's happening, you know, kind of at that under the, the water level or you, we can't really identify it, but I know that what somebody is doing to me is meant to hurt me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's meant to hurt me emotionally, mm -hmm. but I can't articulate it to my supervisor, to whoever, you know, the people of my clan, but it's happening. And so, um, you know, we have to be really uh, in this re whole reclamation where we're reclaiming so much. We also need to reclaim that those speaking rules, you know, like the oratory, call it the way that I tell a story, you know, like there's, there's, there's rules about that too. You know, I start off with say my father's people and, you know, and I hold them up and I praise them and I love them. And then I move to us and we never, I never, you know, like make my people or myself so great and all that. It's always about the opposites, you know, and, and saying thank you and, 
and these things, you know, the, the uh, showing humility and all of that. So, um, you know, as we learn and we, we reclaim, uh, I think it becomes very natural, you know, that we realize that we're out of the boundaries, like you said, you know, we're out of the boundaries when we let these behaviors overcome us. Right. And when I understand what's driving me is my own pain, mm-hmm. my own grief, you know, and my own whatever it is, which is, you know, it's, yeah, we are still in pain and we are still hurting, you know, but a part of that discipline and accountability comes when I realize I am accountable for my own pain. You know, the way that I release pain is my responsibility. And I can't use that as an excuse to be mean to everybody and to hurt people, to hurt other people, right? It's my responsibility, whether I go to ceremony or I dance or I go out on the land or whatever it is, you know, whatever way that people find, those individuals find in dealing with their pain, you know, that's my responsibility. Yes. And, uh, you know, um, your, your whole experience just reminds me of what the elders would tell me. Like, be careful and sincere with your words. As one elder says, it's like an arrow leaving a bow. It can cause serious harm or it can heal. So you have to be careful. And my granny would say, be careful and sincere talking to babies inside the mom. <laughs> you know, she would, she'd go that far and she says, because they absorb everything like a sponge. They got no, they got no filters. So if they hear violence, while it's carried inside the mom, they absorb that. Once, when I finally figured that out, because my mother told me this when I was in my twenties, I'm in my seventies now. I say, my, what a wonderful way of life. She says, everything is said to that baby inside the mom is positive. It's stories, it's teachings, it's how to be. We're layering it on that baby, and still not even fully formed yet. And I thought, what a wonderful start in life, you know, to feel all that love and attention before you even step out into the world. You know that free yourself, and people say ground yourself or whatever. And the elders would say, free yourself. Put it down. Free yourself. Put it down. You're not doing anyone any good, being angry all the time or depressed or scared. You must, like you're saying, they say, go by the big rock, go by the river, go by the big tree. Let it out. Don't carry it around. Because when, when I think of the lateral violence, that means there's something cooking inside that person. Like that story, that analogy about the teapot. If you put it on the hot stove and you plug it up, it's going to explode. <laughs> Eventually, it's built up so much pressure. So I know a lot of our people have done that because they have, like you're saying, dancing. I know dancing, like that whole movement, you know, will... I know trauma experts now encourage people to shake, to do different things with their body to get the trauma out of their muscles. Because every thought we have is a muscular reaction in our body somewhere. So to free ourselves, you know, that's part of the solution. 
is to get that anger out of the people. Because I know they're not angry at the ones beside them, really, unless they have a history or they've already started hurting each other. But at the first incidents, they're angry at their lot in life, about being indigenous and being poor, you know, all of those things. So if we can find a way to let that anger out in a way it's not hurting anybody, but it's healing, is a way out of this, um, to get to that lateral kindness and lateral love you know, that we all come from in the first place. Our ancestry, that's how they lived. You know, I was thinking as I was listening to you, the part of the foundation of having a good relationship is when you go into a relationship, whether it's in the family or a group or band office, wherever, if you're seen, heard, and respected, it's going to be okay. Because people see you and then they accept you as you look. And when you speak, they listen to you. And then they show that respect for you. So any relationship requires that. Because as soon as you start to ignore them, someone, you know, those feelings start to move in that person. And if you don't listen to them, it's, you know, the silent treatment, it's one of the big uh, lateral violence tricks in First Nations communities. Some people haven't talked to each other, their own parents or brother or sister for years. It's silent treatment. You know, I, I you know, like in you, in you disclosed that you, you were part of lateral violence. I was too. No, no, it saddens me. So we need to replace that violence with kindness and love, like you're saying, you know, because of the, if you want to be the same and the, and the way you prove it is by hitting someone. You know, like my late uncle would say, you know, nephew, you fly with the crows, you're going to get shot, you know, and the, when they're in the corn patch, right? Doesn't matter if you're not stealing corn, just because you're with them, you know, you're going to get hit. You know, and, um, so this work that you're doing around promoting, like looking for what works is the way I see it. You know, we, we all know what happened. But you're doing the right approach by having them talk about what it is in a storytelling fashion. See, because I know, one thing I know for sure is PowerPoints don't work for our people. You know, go out there and got five stacks of PowerPoints or something, or a deck, they call it. You know, it's about storytelling. We come from a storytelling culture. You know, we never wrote anything down. Like, I could tell a story, it might not be exactly the same, but the sentiment is the same. I might embellish it in a different way, but the meaning of the story still is there, it still exists. But the... Uh, what do they call that? The moral of this story is, you know, so um, that whole, even sitting in a circle is being indigenous. I've gone to communities where people don't want to sit in a circle because it's foreign to them. Because they simply never been there before. I remember I went to one community and there was lateral violence there is actually this young woman got killed 
so sad. And I got there and I remember that they wanted to be with um, her friends, and her relatives, young relatives. And I went in, some of the guys had hoodies on with dark glasses, you know, and they're telling them you got to sit in a circle. So they'd sit, but they would be, in a sense, they're not really there. You know, so I'd, so I'd done some exercises, you know, and get them to share a little bit about, you know, something safe for them. You know, your, what's, what's, what do you, what, what makes you feel good, for instance. You know, and then, then I had them play a game where there was actually physical contact. It's called amoeba. You know, and they have a team and they'd all hook together, you know, and then the other teams supposed to separate them and see how fast they can do it. You have to be really specific with the instructions about not hurting each other. And as they were doing it, I said, oh, no, I shouldn't have done this game. Because there's guys hanging on to gals and stuff, you know, and they're just holding on really tight. And of course, I think about sexual abuse in the community and stuff like that. And, but to my great surprise, they were laughing, you know, and they were engaged. Then when they come back to the circle, the hoodies were off and the dark glasses were off because they had a chance to laugh at themselves and each other. Then they, we can start talking about what happened and how they felt about it and what can they do, more importantly. You know, so, so I followed their, your same framework about storytelling and I added some physical movement in there, you know, like you're saying dance, for instance. So for these youngsters, it was more learning how to hang on to each other, not let people separate them. And I thought about it and I said, gee, Jerry, that's a perfect game. <laughs> you know, there I was, but I was doubtful at the beginning of it. So what would you think is the first thing to teach someone to prevent lateral violence, to get this lateral love and stuff happening? I think the first step is uh, trying to understand what lateral violence is, you know, understanding why it is, what, what it is, you know, uh, like one time I'll share uh, a young woman was in our, our workshop and we went through what is lateral violence? What does it look like? What are the, you know, how does it manifest itself and why, you know, why do people do it? And she, you know, at the end of all that, she just said, oh my God, I didn't know this was a thing. I just thought it was the way life was. I just thought that this is just how it is, you know? And so our first step is explaining it and teaching about about what it is and why it's there. And I think that right there is 80% of the, um, you know, the, um, the antidote, because when we understand things and we understand why it's easier to 
I think, um, be able to figure out how do we, where do we go from here? You know, how do we get out of this? Because most of the time it's just happening and it's happening constantly and all the time. And people, um, you know, people just maybe go to that place of this is just, you know, I, I heard a lot of people say, this is just res life. You know, there were some participants, participants when we were in Alberta and they kept saying, this is just res life. This is just how it is. And my answer or my, you know, the way that I address that is I say, no, it's not, it's not risk res life. This is not who we are. You know? So, um, um, I think the big, biggest first step is just understanding what it is and really understanding it fully, you know, coming from a place where, um, we're not being judgmental and we just say, yeah, we have this, we have this issue, you know, now let's try to understand it really coming from a place of curiosity and love rather than a place of see look i told you you were bad you know and blaming and shaming and all of that it's like we all do it we all participate in it so let's figure yeah. it out because if we make it a moral issue mm-hmm. like a sin or something yeah you no know, then people get guilted out and shamed and nobody wants to go there but mm-hmm. i was listening to you and i was thinking about how this has become normalized mm-hmm. like violence has become normalized you know like making sure that they know there's a reason for this, but it's not an excuse for violence, you know, to understand. Because once we understand, we can take action. So cool the way you say it, you know, like to tell them in a way where they're going to listen. I call it relaxed concentration. If a facilitator or presenter gets people into relaxed concentration, they absorb the teachings. They take it in. So you got a good you got a good system there, you know, a good style. You know, and that's 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 the way I work and have been working you know, for a while. Thank you, Gonshish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's step number one. What's step number two? Well, step number two is basically I think making a commitment, mm-hmm. right? And the commitment is, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, a lot of people come to a place of why do we why are we doing this Mm -hmm. it makes absolutely no sense once i understand and i understand what it is and i can see more clearly i can stand back and look you know inward and ask myself why the heck are we doing this you know it's it's literally stopping us from doing all of the things we want to do our communities, you know, has lofty, lofty vision and dreams, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's all revolves around the wellness of our people, you know, the happiness of our people. Uh, it's basically, I think, at the essence of self-determination, you know, and so here we are with all these great, you know, visions and things that we're doing, and we're just getting stopped in our tracks because lateral violence is extremely impactful. Mm-hmm. And it, people leave jobs, people leave communities, people never talk to each other again, people are unhappy. You know, it just creates so much turmoil. So the next big step is to say to yourself and to say as a community, like this First Nation that, you know, kind of um, instigated everything, said, we have this problem and we don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And they specifically said, and it always happens when we're going to have an election worse, you know. Mm-hmm. So they, they made a commitment and, you know, they, uh, they're, they're, um, 
intent was very, very articulated. And it began with, we have a problem and we want to fix it and we're committed to fixing it. So they, all their leadership, including the chief and all the councils and all the staff and every single person in the community took the workshop. And it didn't, you know, completely eradicate lateral violence, but it ple at least people were on the same page, you know, and people were, people were uh, committed and to wanting to change it, understanding what it was. And then we, we developed a few tools uh, in the workshop that will help somebody when they're in the moment. Because we recognize when people are in the moment and lateral violence is happening, that your stress and anxiety is so heightened that most of the time people just shut down. Mm -hmm. you know, they just shut down and then they're laying there at three in the morning that night thinking of all the great things they could have said. Or, you know, <laughs> but it's it's too late now. The moment is gone. So we developed, you know, our tools of um you know, uh, approaching it in a loving and kind way, but in a strong way, mm -hmm. which basically is, it goes back to the boundary, you know, the boundary of, I love you, you're my cousin or you're my colleague or whatever it is, but you cannot treat me like this. Please stop. You know, I was at a workshop and um, this facilitator said to us, I have, I have something to tell you. She says, love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. Mm -hmm. She says, the example is when a mother receives a baby for the first time, she makes a commitment, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to clean you, I'm going to care for you. That's a commitment. Then, depending as the years go along, how that commitment is carried out, then the warm feelings start to flow between each other. Mm -hmm. It's respectful, with boundaries and understanding. Right. So to make that commitment is actually saying it's because I love you. Yeah. But you stand for you're one of us. Your great grandfather was my relative, you know, so we're going to be committed. Right. And I think that that part needs to be explained too, because the residential school is it follow the divide and conquer rule that the colonizers use. If you can divide the families, you can control them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Divide and conquer worked really well. Right, and my um, my wonderful colleague Thomas, he always says that you know uh, human beings thrive when they have boundaries and they have guidelines. We don't, you know, like there's so much state of chaos within our communities, our own indigenous communities, where there's no boundaries and it's just like everything goes. And as you mentioned, violence has become normalized, violence in all different ways, you know? Um, and so it's true, we really are yearning, you know, for structure. Mm -hmm. And that structure needs to be within our own indigenous constructs or our own indigenous, you know, ways, ways of being. In my language, we call it hakusti'i, which means like our own way, basically, our way of life, you know? So we're uh, really, um, I think, crying out for that. And people think, oh yeah, we're free and blah, blah, blah. But no, we're not. We're not free when we're living in chaos. Yeah. <laughs> we're free when we understand who we are and we're within, you know, those beautiful guidelines and boundaries of what that means. Yes, I think part of that, the next step might be when we sit down together and talk about what's acceptable. Mm -hmm. 
because that's the opposite of that is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. What's acceptable is I'm going to respect you and your boundary. You know, where there's a boundary here, I'm going to respect that. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, so if we sit down together and make agreements and commitments like you, that community done, uh, a commitment to what's acceptable here and what's not acceptable. And agree on it as families in the community. You know, like for instance, let's say um, somebody said, well, let's not swear at children anymore. That's not acceptable. And everybody agreed on it. Then they could remind each other when it happens. And say, hey, listen, that's not acceptable. I know sharing words like that can make a difference with people. I was at a community and I was talking to these graduates. And I said, I'm so happy because they were graduated from um, plumbing. They were plumbers now. I said, I'm so happy you have a gift to use to help the people. You know, so, and I was talking about being respectful and being careful and sincere with your words, you know, when you're working and you can start your own business. So I was trying to, I was really being motivational because that's what they wanted, right? And I said, you know, have to be careful how you talk to people. As elders say, what goes around comes around. So if you swear at somebody or you swear at your tools or something, you know, it's going to come back and it's going to hurt you. Your tool will break or somebody will lose your job or something. And the MC of that graduation got up and spoke at the end and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy that elder. He says, I have to be careful because I was watching uh, the hockey game last night. This is a couple of years ago. There's no COVID. And he says, I was swearing at the hockey players and the TV and my little son sitting beside me watching. He said, I don't want him to be like that. See, so that awareness that there's other people in our life and they're watching. What do we want for them? I think that's part of the step two of our healing. Yeah, is um, definitely being examples, you know. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of that first community, it was so powerful that their leadership stepped forward first. You know, because a part of leader leading is being an example. You know, if I want people to do something, then I need to do it as well. You know, if I want to wear a face, if I want people to wear a face mask, then I need to wear one too. You know, and so yeah. their 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 leadership, um, I think, really exemplified first of all leadership in itself by saying, "I do this. I'm a part of this, and I want to change myself." And so I'm going to step forward and, you know, go through this process. Very, very powerful, you know, really. Powerful. <laughs> it is because I work with, I primarily work with adults. Mm -hmm. One of the ways I talk about being indigenous is being a noisy listener. Mm -hmm. For instance, the Crees, when, you're, when I was talking to Crees, they go, uh-huh, uh-huh, that means they're listening. Right. Mm -hmm. Where I'm from, they go, oh, when you're talking, oh, Appa, oh, or something, they say, hey, young fella, that's good. So they're letting me know they're still there. So we're noisy listeners, because when you listen, you're showing high respect to the speaker. And it's usually because then we know that speaker respects them too. So they noisy listen. Oh, or, you know, 
I can remember the elders when I first started speaking, and I'd hear them, oh, you know, it was tickling them or is making them feel good. So they're noisy listening. If they're quiet, then I knew I said enough or too much. <laughs> so we learn, so, you know, all of these are learned skills. That's why we can change this. It's man-made problems. We must remember the colonizers were all men. That's why I say most of majority of our problems are man-made. Our identity is Indians because they created an identity for us, being drunk, being lazy, being stupid, all of those things that was created. You tell it to children, they absorb it. There's a good chance it'll become that because I know I'm the example of that. I was told at residential school that I'd probably be a drunk. And I absorbed that and I proved it to them, to my loss. You know, so, so one of the things that I was, and I've been, you know, been wanting to talk to you now for a while, share with you, was about the final stage is family reconciliation. When we actually do restitution with one another in ways that are acceptable for the harms done after we've all admitted, yes, we're all part of this. And then one by one, you start to say, Auntie, you know, that time, I want to give you something. Uh, Mom, you know, that time, I want to give you something. To start to do that, because reconciliation means repairing the relationship, doing something tangible, something measurable. We start repairing those relationships. Some of them are pretty severe. Like I'm working with a young man now. He's a, he was drunk driving and he killed three people. You know, so I told him, you know, you, you can do reconciliation. But you must remember, most of it's on their time, not your time. Because they might not be ready because they lost loved ones. And they're going to blame you and stuff like that. But I said, don't give up on that. And he said, you know what? You can, the person you can change is yourself. You can't change those ones. They're going to do it on their own if they do it. And our prayers are that they will forgive you. you know, and see that you've changed and you're sincere. So I see that as a kind of the final step is reconciliation you know, in the community. Because there's, a, we got the Hatfield-McCoys happening too, family against family, you know, clan against clan. So before we used to have the shame feast, one of our clan members hurt your clan. Oh, we'd shower you with gifts. Just keep giving you gifts till you say that's enough. Then it's never to be spoken of again. I say, that's such a beautiful way. You know, that's indigenous. Remember this um, series is called Indigenous Is. And I'm so glad to share with you because you're showing Indigenous Is. But what is indigenous? It's being respectful. Storytelling, I believe storytelling is a big part. Because when someone starts telling their story, they're freeing themselves. 
but it needs to be in that safe setting or we aren't reaffirming anger, fear, or depression. But letting them know this is a once and for all chance where you can get rid of it forever. Put it where it's not going to hurt anybody anymore. Let's deal with this. So and this is a time when I ask you for a message to give to the people. Let's pretend we're talking to all the indigenous communities in Canada. So you have a choice to talk to the grannies or the grandpas or the moms or the dads or the children or grandchildren. Or if you want to talk, give a message to all of them, say to you all or whatever. What would you say to them about lateral kindness and love? I would say, uh, you know, to the entire community of Indigenous people across Turtle Island, because we're all impacted by this, you know, and um, we've all been hurt. And we have, we've all, you know, I've seen so many stories of people who have, you know, just risen with strength, determination and resilience and move forward. But I always heard my mom say, our people are beautiful, our people are respectful, and our people are noble. And we just must remember that. We have to remember who we really are, who we really are, and walk forward with that. That's a wonderful message. Indigenous is, we're noble, we're beautiful, we're kind, we're respectful, we're generous. Oh, that's where we come from. Yeah. Oh, such a beautiful way of life. I really enjoyed speaking to you. Do you have any questions or final thoughts you'd like to say? I just want to say thank you so much, Gunas Chish, Masicho, Sonithan, for inviting me to uh, hang out with you today and to talk <laughs> and to have such a great discussion. And really was, um, you know, uh, uplifting for me. And I really thank you for the work that you do and for your commitment as an elder and a knowledge keeper and somebody promoting unity and wellness in our community. So thank you so much for that. <laughs>